0: There's an ongoing wave of anti-Asian violence and harassment spreading across the U.S. There have been incidents where Asians in America, especially women and the elderly, are being spat on, knocked down, robbed, slashed across the face, and worse. This is causing fear in these communities, economic challenges for the businesses, and confusion and anger over why these incidents aren't getting covered by mainstream news outlets. This is Fordham Conversations' We the People, where we delve into the intricate issues surrounding racial and ethnic minorities, including the injustices, challenges, and progress being made in these communities. I'm Robin Shannon. Today, I'm joined by Tiffany Yip, the professor of psychology and department chairperson at Fordham University. Tiffany, can you describe what is happening in the Asian American communities in terms of these attacks?
1: Yeah, thanks Robin for bringing attention to this story. Um, What we're seeing is a significant multifold rise in anti-Asian attacks, harassment, and discrimination. Um, So even just looking in our own backyard here in New York City, um, according to the New York City Police Department, there was one reported anti-Asian racist act in 2019. But in 2020, that rate actually increased to 27 incidents. And so you can see that's a multifold increase. And I would sort of venture to guess that maybe even these numbers are an underestimate of what's really going on um, in our communities. What we're seeing here in New York and really across the country is a multifold increase in acts of violence and discrimination against Asian Americans, ranging from verbal assaults to even physical assaults, um, including, you know, spitting on individuals and things like that. So there, we're really seeing A stark increase in anti Asian sentiment and harassment um, in the past year.
0: And Tiffany, why are we seeing these attacks happening more frequently now? Yeah,
1: I think that's a a really interesting observation. You know, I think we can certainly point to the pandemic and, in particular, you know, the former administration sort of handling and framing of the pandemic as um, the responsibility of Chinese individuals. So, you know, we're all familiar with the rhetoric that was used to sort of point fingers at Chinese individuals for the the start of the pandemic. Um, And so those sorts of things certainly did not help. And I think we can at least attribute some of the, you know, increase in
0: anti-Asian sentiment to that rhetoric. To that rhetoric. And I would also um, want to point out that it's not only uh, Chinese Americans that are getting attacked. Why do you think People are just lumping all Asians into one group. Why? Yeah,
1: I think um, you know. I think that's a that's a really good question. I uh, you know one of the sort of I think challenges of the Asian American community is that that umbrella term Asian Americans actually refers to over 30 um, different ethnic groups. So thinking about the heterogeneity of ethnic groups and then throwing issues like religion into the mix, throwing in language into the mix, throwing in um, potential socioeconomic differences, um, generational differences, so nativity differences, that the group is actually quite diverse and so, I think in some ways that diversity within group is, um, overlooked and maybe sometimes even hard to appreciate because there is so much diversity. And so, um, So I think there's just this tendency to sort of think of Asian-Americans, you know, as a a group, as a homogenous group. Um, And that unfortunately then means that perhaps, you know, anti-Chinese sentiment then um, is spread across other Asian ethnic groups as well.
0: And Tiffany, why isn't there or doesn't seem to be a call to confront racism against Asians with the same urgency as the call to support groups like Black Lives Matter? You know, I think that's a,
1: that's a really good question. And I think, you know, some of it may have to do with the heterogeneity of the group, right? So it's sort of hard to um, get groups to coalesce right when they're so different so what is the common goal what is the sort of common bond that brings these groups together and I think that's not always clear I also think Asian Americans again sort of as this umbrella group um face unique stereotypes that make it harder for I think Americans to come together around um and 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 form solidarity for groups of Asian Americans so for example the two sort of most salient and prominent um stereotypes about Asian Americans. One is this perpetual foreigner, right? So everyone assumes that Asians are not American. And there's been a lot of research in psychology that really um, illustrates the fact that people don't see Asians, even Asian Americans who have been here for multiple generations, they're not seen as American, right? So they're not sort of considered whatever American means. So this sort of perpetual foreigner um, Sort of shadow, I think, makes it difficult for people to feel like they need to coalesce and support Asian Americans. And then I think the other really salient stereotype is the model minority stereotype, right? So this idea that, you know, um, Asian Americans are successful, you know, hardworking, industrious, and that sort of if positive stereotype, if you will, sort of undermines the challenges of Asian Americans. So I actually saw a statistic recently that finds that uh, in, in the United States, Asians actually have the largest income disparity in the country the top 10% and the bottom 10% are the most divergent of any group in the United States. And so I think things like the model minority stereotype really sort of do a a disservice to the places where Asian and Asian Americans are really struggling. And so I think some of that makes it hard for other groups to feel like they need to come together and support Asian Americans during this this difficult time.
0: And also, Tiffany, it seems like the media really isn't or is just beginning slowly to recognize these incidents of anti-Asian hate? Why is it taking the media so long to pick up on these stories and kind of understand that this is becoming an epidemic, a trend, a negative trend?
1: You know, I think some of it probably does have to do with these sort of perceptions of Asian Americans not needing help, not needing attention, sort of they'll, they'll do fine no matter what. And I also think you know there's just multiple pandemics going on right now so there's sort of the coronavirus pandemic there's the racist sort of pandemic of racism and that's really sort of been couched, I think, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement when people think about sort of the current, you know, pandemic of racism. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, Asian Americans have not been included in that conversation. I think it's really um, exciting to see the current administration with their memo that came out last month, sort of condemning racism against Asian Americans and sort of calling for communities to think about how we can also combat uh, racism. So I think that's very exciting to see. So I hope things like that, that sort of um, executive attention to these issues might begin to shift our conversation a little bit. But yeah, I agree there's sort of not been that much attention to this issue until more recently.
0: This is Fordham Conversations, We the People on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, joined by Tiffany Yip, the Professor of Psychology and Department Chairperson at Fordham University. We're discussing the attack on Asian Americans and the search for solidarity among other minority groups. If you can describe the recent history of conflict between the Black and Asian American communities, because some of these attacks have been done by African Americans, which is also causing a rift and are causing more racial tension between the two, unfortunately.
1: You know, so there have been scholars, most notably Claire Kim has talked about this notion of racial triangulation, that Asian and Black individuals are sort of used in a as pawns, if you will, against each other, pitted against each other, to discourage solidarity between the two groups. So, you know, the sort of sentiment is, you know, look at Asian Americans, and again, here comes the sort of model minority bit, they're doing fine, why is it that, you know, African Americans are not doing fine, right? And so I think that there's this narrative that's been perpetuated by the white majority that talks about how, you know, Asians and blacks are sort of pitted against each other. And then I think those sorts of, you know, social positioning and narratives about social positioning don't help relationships between, you know, Asians and black Americans. And, you know, I think the most salient sort of example of how that's been manifested in our recent history was the um, 1992 um, LA riots, right? So. And when we look back at this, you see history repeating itself, right? So Rodney King was brutally attacked and killed by LA police officers, and back at that time, people didn't have cell phones. But you know, in this particular case, someone did have a camcorder and, and recorded the footage. So similar to, you know, recent events that we've seen with cell phones. I mean, this this was sort of um, propelled into the national dialogue because of the video, right? And so, you know, the police were acquitted and, and, and Black Americans were, you know, understandably upset, took to the streets. And in a lot of cases, the communities that were the victim of those robberies and the crimes were Korean Americans in this case. So I think that's the most sort of salient example of Black-Asian tension in our recent history. You know, and I think it just underscores the lack of sort of understanding that can exist among communities. And again, you see this sort of triangulation pattern here
0: um, being repeated. So, so you had, you had uh, Black Americans rioting in their neighborhoods because they were upset, but unfortunately, the businesses that are in their neighborhood, because the mentality that I understood at the time was... These are, even though this is my neighborhood, this is, these are not my stores. But what was happening was they were destroying Korean stores and Chinese stores and, and, and businesses of Asian Americans. And then Asian Americans had to, I mean, some of them even put up signs that said, I'm colored too. Like, don't attack me. We're not doing this to you. Do you think, Tiffany, that has, there has still been some underlying animosity because of that? Yeah, I think those dynamics are
1: um, quite complex. I think there's probably economic undertones. There's probably political undertones. I think some of that sentiment probably still exists today, just in terms of people having difficulty finding commonalities what do we have in common versus what do we not have in common? I think oftentimes language barriers perpetuate discord, right? So if you do have immigrants who, you know, are maybe less fluent in English, that's certainly never helps with any type of communication, particularly things that are this emotionally charged. And I also think, you know, historically, there hasn't been that much contact between Asian and Black communities in general. And when there is contact, it's not under conditions that are necessarily conducive to coming together. I'm sure it doesn't help either.
0: Yeah. Can I give you some scenarios, Tiffany, and walk me through what you think should be done. Uh, I'm addressing a group to say people of color need to join together to fight systemic racism. And in this group of people, I hear, but Asians are anti black. So what can I say to address this generalization that is not true? I think anytime we sort of perhaps point fingers or use another
1: group as scapegoats, or suggest that everyone's, you know, not sitting together at the same table, it's going to make it hard. So, you know, I think I would sort of suggest that, you know, that we all may have our individual experiences that suggest certain levels of animosity, but I think it's time to come together. You know, it's time to look past has happened we need to sit down to get together at the same table and we just need to move forward so that's the only way that things are going to change is if we start beginning to see the commonalities right what do we share what what do we share in common rather than focusing on where our differences are and i really think that's the only way we can begin to move forward
0: okay another scenario tiffany okay um I'm in a group to address um, ways that both Asian and Black communities can work together. But I hear a Black person say, Asians never show up for us. Uh, Or Asian person saying that Black people don't really care about our issues. How can I amplify examples of solidarity that have happened between the two groups and say, hey, in the past, we have worked together. And here's an example of that. Let's try this again. I think the most
1: recent wave of the Black Lives Matter movement um, was a nice illustration of how many groups came together, not just Asians, you know, Latinx, um, Indigenous, white individuals, LGBTQ came together um, to think about how we could support the Black community. So I think there are examples of just a sense of common fate, right, that we are all sort of marginalized in our own unique Um, ways and that there are ways to come together in numbers and build a sense of community and solidarity. Um, So I thought that was a really good recent example of people coming together across groups to support um, the BLM
0: movement. Uh, Tiffany, are there any types of community-based interventions that already exist to address violence against Asian communities? Well, so I did recently
1: um, come across this um, website that's called Stop AAPI Hate. And it's basically a repository where people can go online. It started actually in March of the pandemic, where people can go online and report acts of discrimination and racism. And then they sort of pull together the data and, and write reports. And they also have some recommendations. So that's sort of a group that comes to mind, but in terms of maybe an institutionalized sort of structural, you know, intervention that, you know, people can take and just implement in their own communities, I haven't seen anything, which is not to say it doesn't exist, but, but I haven't seen anything. So not to my knowledge.
0: Okay. And one of the things that I heard in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement was just this level of exhaustion that people started to feel from fighting and rioting and walking and feeling. And I'm beginning to hear from some of my peers who have also been been fighting for anti-Asian violence to be addressed that they're beginning to feel tired, too. Can you help me explain what to do about this exhaustion, if that's a fair question to ask?
1: Racism is taxing. Racism is physically taxing. It's emotionally taxing. We know this anecdotally in our own lived experiences and we know this in our scholarship, right? So there is, you know, countless research that shows that racism is physically draining and so So yes, we are all feeling exhausted. We are all feeling tired. We feel it in our bones. You know, we feel it in our hearts and our souls. So how we come out the other end of this, I think this sort of popular term people these days are using is self-care. I think self-care only gets us so far. Some of what helps me personally is knowing that I'm not alone, right? And that there's other individuals, other communities that are feeling this as well. And that gives me energy to sort of continue moving forward for progress. I think the election of our new um, vice president is extremely energizing, Um, and particular, you know, since we're talking about Asian and Black spaces here today, um, is so exciting um, in that realm. You know, for many reasons, she's so exciting. But in this particular conversation, I think very exciting too, because I do think it's an opportunity for Asian and Black communities to see, you know, where we can come together. I I do think there's hope, but but absolutely this is exhausting work
0: yeah and I want to get into discussing possible ways to address violence against the Asian community and and how other groups can help so can you offer um, examples of maybe what some other groups of color can do uh, to denounce ongoing anti-Asian hate crimes like what can we do to help Yeah, so I think there's multiple levels to that. So I think, you know,
1: if you're in the unfortunate situation of being present when something like this happens, that we need to speak up for each other, right? We need to say, hey, this is wrong. And as a psychologist, we know that just Simply saying something, interrupting a situation, you know, saying this is not right, you need to stop, is enough to change that dynamic, right? Is enough to change the course of an interaction. So, you know, it sounds a little cliche, but, you know, interrupt, say something Um, you know, diffuse the situation, do what you can to be an ally, right? So it doesn't have to be your group. It doesn't have to be someone you know, but intervening and speaking up can disrupt um, an ongoing situation.
0: Someone did that in, I think, the UK. They said um, an Asian woman was wearing a mask, and another woman was berating her for wearing the mask, and then the woman said, well, I'm wearing this mask because I have cancer and I am uh going through chemo and I've been wearing this long before COVID and the other woman just kept yelling at this woman and and making very negative negative nasty remarks and this group of I don't know if they were on the bus or on their subway system in the UK but this group of people just stood by her and was like leave her alone leave her alone somebody filmed it and that was a perfect example of like all you have to do is one person say leave this person alone mind your business you know what I mean kind of show solidarity right yeah right and sometimes it's just about
1: basic humanity right it's about basic humanity and you know if you see someone who's in a position and and you know you're you know you're in a position to help right so you're not going to endanger you know put yourself in physical harm saying something is usually enough to diffuse the situation Um, So I think the importance of allyship is incredibly important. Um, And then I think sort of at a larger, maybe more sociological level, we just need to change our norms about what's acceptable. What is acceptable behavior? What is not acceptable behavior? And again, I think there's... um, you know, some examples in the past administration that are, you know, evidence of what is not acceptable. So we need to remind ourselves that it's not acceptable to, you know, call people out, to call people names, to, you know, um, denigrate groups because of religion or race or language or whatever. So I think we just really need to sort of, at a societal level, change norms about what's acceptable. Um, And I think that will take us a long way in terms of thinking, about um, how we can interrupt some of these racist interactions.
0: Tiffany, what more can police officers do to address hate crimes against Asians? Yeah, I think this is a really big question. And I think this is something
1: that, um, you know, law enforcement communities all over the country are sort of thinking about not only with Asian Americans, but certainly with, you know, Black Americans too, right? These are conversations that we've been, you know, struggling with, as you can see now with the Rodney King, I mean, decades, these are not new, new issues. I think, you know, there's been a lot of attention to things like anti-racism training, anti-bias training, implicit bias training. I think those are all steps in the right directions. I do not think they will solve all of the issues that we're seeing today. And simply because I think sometimes there's a tendency to think about these anti-racism trainings as sort of check boxes. I think it re- involves more than that. I think we really need to think about you know, what sorts of support systems are available to our law enforcement communities. I think we want to um, understand the cause of the tension without necessarily blaming people as well. I think that's really important. I mean, I think this is, you know, a big question about how law enforcement can better interact with all of our communities of color. Um, I think for Asian communities in particular, as I mentioned, you know, language could be a potential confound that makes things even more difficult. One thing people have considered is just making our law enforcement communities more diverse. I think that's probably another good step. Again, probably not gonna fix everything but certainly is a good step. So having communities represented in their own law enforcement, but this is a a huge problem that needs to be unpacked at multiple levels. Um, And 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 certainly is not unique to Asian Americans.
0: Yeah. And, And as we spoke earlier, President Biden is directing federal agencies to explore ways to combat racism, specifically against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. So what, would you suggest these agencies need to look at on a federal level? And this is hard, right,
1: because Asian Americans are numerically a minority group. So there's no doubt that numerically they're a minority. But I think issues of representation are incredibly important because without someone that understands the struggle and the unique challenges of a particular community, it's really hard to have that voice represented. Um, so I think representation, and I don't mean it in sort of like a again, checkbox sort of affirmative action sort of approach. I mean it in a sort of really profound, multiple level sort of approach. So it's not just, you know, having a certain distribution and meeting quotas. I think it's really about, you know, putting people in positions of power and influence that represent um, different voices. And so I think this needs to happen at multiple levels. Um, not just, you know, as sort of, um, again, sort of the optics part of having diversity, but really having, and you don't have to be, you know, a member of a group necessarily to be able to represent them. I think there are certain individuals that can represent the views of multiple groups. So I think we need to think a little bit more um, creatively about what representation looks like where it needs to be there's there's probably strategic places in the administration where having a voice matters more than other places in an administration, so um uh so i think I think this notion of representation is important, but I think we also need to think carefully and creatively and strategically
0: about what representation looks like, but at the very least, let these voices be heard, get them in the room. <laughs> Get them in the room. Absolutely. (laughs) Get them
1: at the room. Have them at the... They need to be sitting at the same table
0: because without that, it's just still just going to be lip service. And now I'm going to ask you to put on your professor of psychology hat here and uh, ask you, Tiffany, but for the people who have already been attacked, what steps can they take to begin to heal from the emotional and psychological pain of these attacks, you know? Yeah, I mean...
1: I think at any point being a victim of this kind of act is traumatizing. Maybe more so in the middle of a pandemic when people are isolated from their support networks, friends, family. I mean, that's um, I'm sure multiplies the trauma. I guess I would just say that um, it's not personal, and in, in some ways that's comforting. In some ways, it's not, um, and so sort of taking that the blame, perhaps, and feelings of, like, what did I do wrong, Um, away, because it's not about you as a person, it's about what you represent as an idea or as a
0: stereotype. What kind of self-awareness should an individual begin to seek in themselves to address maybe their own ideas about discrimination (laughs) or their own racist views or, you know, Um, If I want to say, you know what, if it's going to start with me, then there's certain things that I need to address about my own personality or my own belief system. Where should that begin? Yeah, I think
1: we could even just do a little fun experiment and observe our daily lives for a couple of days. Who do we interact with? You know, what are these interactions look like? Do I sort of live my values? Do I have friends and a network that represents you know, values of diversity and inclusion, or do I just sort of talk the talk, but not really sort of, you know, live my values. Um, So I think those are sort of things we can do to sort of challenge ourselves in our daily lives. Um, You know, do I support businesses that are Um, owned by um, diverse groups? Do I have friends? You know, how do I support the communities that I care about? So I think those are sort of um, ways to think about, and you know, certainly also just pausing um, when you see things happen to other groups, you know, what more can I do? Right. Supporting organizations, um, maybe donating your time or donating, you know, funds to um, organizations that you care about. Um, I think those are sort of little steps that we can start to take. Um, And having conversations like these, I think, are really important, too.
0: And Tiffany, that was my last question. Is there anything that you want to talk about or any question I didn't ask that you want to add?
1: I just wanted to actually thank you for bringing this conversation um, to your listeners. I think it's really important. Um, I really appreciate your astute observation that, you know, what can we do? Like our fellow Asian Americans are suffering at this time. And how can we, you know, as a community think about ways to overcome maybe some of the barriers and some of the ways in which minority groups have been pitted against each other in a way that dis- Services them, right? So by trying to separate groups from each other, it sort of doesn't allow us to come together in ways that might be more powerful, right? And, and, And might force the type of reckoning that we actually probably need.
0: I want to thank my guest, Tiffany Yip, the professor of psychology and department chairperson at Fordham University. You've been listening to We the People, where once a month we delve into the intricate issues surrounding racial and ethnic minorities. For links to this show, visit WSUV.org or sign up for our weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Robin Shannon.